Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to wrap up our series on a moment in time. We're going to look together over in Luke chapter 4 here in just a few moments. Uh, Jesus did change the entire course of history by coming for all people. He saw such value in you that he gave himself completely so that you would have the opportunity to have eternal life. Giving himself meant that he had to humble himself just at the right time to become a baby and to become human like us. Christmas is a reminder of his humility and the incarnation And then he humbled himself again on the cross to carry our disgrace in front of everyone. The breaking between B.C. before Christ and A.D., the year of the Lord, wasn't just about a birth so that we could have a new holiday. It was about a new way of life, and we should not have a Christmas faith, but a transformed life that shows Jesus' lordship every day of the year. A simple Christmas faith says, oh, well, you know, I believe in Jesus who is born on Christmas, and that's great, yet that person's faith doesn't go any further than the Christmas weekend or the Christmas season. So to move beyond a simple Christmas faith means that we have to have some kind of a watershed moment. It's a defining moment, one that makes a drastic change in the course of someone's life. And our life, uh, our life in Christ should be marked by one of those watershed moments, a division in the direction of our life or our hearts based on our personal conviction of sin and the lordship of Jesus himself. But history is divided in the, between the B.C. and the A.D., and each life of a believer should be marked by that A.D. and B.C. as well. So God can change our history. And He can change our future when we become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have defining moments in our lives. Uh, Some years back when I was still working in Kansas City, uh, I took a couple weeks of vacation. Actually, it just started out with a week. And uh, when I took that vacation, I spent uh, that first full week uh, restoring an old car and and uh, it was during August, and somebody gave me a flyer during that week, and I found that there was going to be a ministry conference down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, so on a whim, I decided, hey, I'm going to call in for another week, got a hold of the boss and said, hey, can I take another week? And he said, yeah, I'll go ahead. And so I decided to go down, and, and so I could be uh, refreshed, spiritually strengthened. And a few years before this, I'd come to faith in Christ. I'd trusted Him as my Savior, and so at that point, I decided, you know, I'm going to go down to this, and I found that this, uh, this conference was connected to a Bible college, and, and so it, it, was, it became a defining moment for me because I just went to be built up, to be encouraged, uh, to be strengthened in my faith, and uh, before I knew it, I started feeling called to at least go to Bible college to get to know the Lord better. Well... 
normally uh, at this point, I, I decided, I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, I want you to sell your house. I lived in Atchison at the time. I want you to sell your house, uh, change your job out, move to Tulsa and go to Bible college. And at that day and time, really houses didn't uh, turn over that fast, especially at that point in, in the early 90s. And, uh, and I, was, uh, I was looking at my situation. I got my house ready to sell and everything. And, and I thought, well, it's going to be a while before I can do that. You know, it's August. School had already started for the first semester. And then next, I was going to have to try to go attend in, in January at best. And I prayed about it, and the Lord opened the door, and uh, by, within three months, my house sold. And within a month, I had a new job in Tulsa. So there I was, headed to Tulsa to go to Bible college. Now, people were asking me, they were saying, okay, so what are you going to do? You're going to enter ministry, right? I said, my words were, no. <laughs> no, that was not my goal. That's not why I was really going at that point in time. Uh, but uh, after all these things happened, and, and my house sold so quick, and I got the job like I did, and people around me and myself, we were all saying, wow, that must be God because that stuff just doesn't happen typically that fast. And so the end result was as the Lord has uh, given me opportunity to serve Him in many places and in many ways, and I wouldn't change it for anything. It was a personal watershed moment for me and that changed my path for a lifetime. And that water, the watershed moment between B.C. and A.D. just wasn't about the birth of Jesus to have us so that we could have a special day off. It was about a new way of life for us because Jesus came to give us life. And let's look over to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look together as we see this defining moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ and consequently in our lives. Verse 16 says this on the screen, He, speaking of Jesus, went to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue as was His custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. We'll look at the rest of this here a little bit later, but we see some key things happening. He's been brought up here in this town, and, and, uh, and we see that he's headed back there. So the first thing we have is this hometown carpenter defines his ministry before his hometown crew. This was Jesus' home. It's where he grew up. Luke says it, uh, says it was where he had been brought up. Jesus had lived here in Nazareth among the people like so many others. It was quite evident that he was involved in the local ministry of the area because when he entered the synagogue, Luke says there that that was his custom. And so his attendance to the local assembly said something about his life. He knew what was important important in his young life can the same be said of you we have to ask ourselves that we don't know if jesus has read the scripture publicly at this point in his hometown we don't know for sure because luke doesn't tell us it, it wouldn't be surprising if he had as a as a boy from over the age of 12 but luke doesn't really even say if in this passage that of jesus 
uh, what the passage was that he read, if he had asked to read that or if that was what was given to him that day. We don't know for sure. It could have happened either way. But the passage Jesus was reading was from Isaiah chapter 61 with the words to set the oppressed free from Isaiah chapter 58. And so there is a variation there from the usual wording which may reflect that Bible translation that he was using in that synagogue at the time. But Jesus reveals his ministry to his friends and his neighbors in verses 18 and 19. And this revelation of who Jesus is was not something that should have been new for everyone. They should have been aware of who he was to some level. We saw last week over in Luke chapter 2 how Annas uh, and uh, also, I'm sorry, not Annas, Anna and Simeon, how both of them had pro spoken prophetically and had prayed for Jesus when he was just somewhere around a month old in the temple. So he did that, they did that in front of Mary and Joseph and others around them. So they should have been aware that something was special about him. And this would have happened about 30 years before this. We find that uh, Jesus has worked under Joseph as a carpenter and some of those same people in the uh, synagogue that he was speaking to on that day. May, maybe Jesus went and fixed, uh, built their house for him. Maybe he repaired their table. We don't know what all that he did. But now Jesus has the scroll of Isaiah in his hand and he says this in verse 17. Luke says, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then in verse 20, he says here, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now there's something here that's unique for us, especially for us growing up maybe here in America. We think of, okay, the preacher gets up, he reads a message, now he sits down. So most of us will think, Oh, okay, what he's doing is he's going to read that passage and then he's going to go back to his chair and sit down. But that's not what's happening here. Remember, at that time, it was a little bit different. It was kind of opposite. Those guys are going to sit down to teach. I kind of think, Pastor Steve, maybe we should see if we can do that. <laughs> but so we find Jesus here and he said, this scripture is fulfilled. He's saying, he's identifying himself as that person the messiah so we see that isaiah shows jesus as the bearer of the spirit he's the end time prophet preaching good news and the one who releases the oppressed see that's the work of the messiah himself that's the work of the christ the the jesus who that is his work and we can see that jesus ministry was uniquely marked by the presence of the Spirit that was foretold prophetically. There's no, there's no question from this point on that Jesus was marked by the power of the Holy Spirit as He ministered to the masses of people and His anointing was powerful. 
and his prophetic role overlaps that role as Messiah. But what Jesus, but what Isaiah prophesied and what Jesus said was in reality what he did. That was how he lived. He proclaimed good news to the poor. He proclaimed freedom for those who were bound and provided sight to the blind. For those who were burdened, he set them free. The poor, like the prisoners and the blind and the oppressed, they were, uh, they, they were all unfortunate in this world. And they were those who completely depended on the Lord. It isn't hard to find Jesus producing freedom for captives. We can see it over in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. We find this account of Jesus healing a man who was blind. And Mark says they came to him, uh, they came to Bethsaida, and, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now that seems just a little unusual to me. I don't know about you, but if somebody said, hey, I think we can help you out. Let me do some spitting here and we'll see if we can get you to see. Can you see now? Well, Jesus knew what he was doing. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. He, he, and this guy looks up and said, I, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus didn't come just simply to make a show. That's not why he came. He came to restore people's lives. He came because he cares for people. As we go back to our passage here in Luke chapter 4 this morning, where, where Jesus reads Isaiah, we find that Jesus was proclaiming God's kindness. Luke chapter 4 verse 19 says of Jesus that he was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that has some significance to us, primarily to them, primarily to the, those that are listening to Jesus' message and may, may have had that opportunity to read the scripture for themselves. But this wording would have made them think of the year of Jubilee, which was important for them. It's this year, this one year in a 50-year span of time when debts were forgiven, when those who were indentured servants or slaves were set free, they were let go. It was a significant time. It was based in Leviticus chapter 25. It refers to a time in history when God in His sovereign grace brings freedom from the guilt and the effects of sin in a person's life. Jesus was opening a door for us to meet God in faith. Well, it's all fine and good, but Jesus leaves something out. He leaves something else. He, he leaves out the next phrase in Isaiah 61 verse 2. The day of vengeance of our God. Now, this is a big deal. A Jesus' audience would expect that the day of their salvation would be the day of judgment on their enemies. And it's important, for, but he left that out. 
But if God's judgment is delayed, it means at the time of the Lord's favor benefits the Gentiles also. That benefits all of us who are not necessarily people of the promise, people of the old covenant. It gives us an opportunity. In verse 24 to 27, Jesus confirms that Gentiles can also receive God's grace. In fact, some scholars think here that since Jesus leaves out judgment here, that this is why everybody gets mad at him in verse 28. We don't know for sure, but it's very possible. God's judgment will come in time, but as a prophet and Messiah, Jesus will minister to the needy, even the Gentiles, in the power of the Spirit. Why are we so worried about getting vengeance? As humans, why are we so worried about vengeance? We're always wanting others to pay, but we don't want to pay ourselves. A lady tells a story about a, her friend who has four boys, and the four boys were young. They are filled with energy, especially during church. You know, that's the way it is. I remember going, growing up in church and my folks would give me little things to do to try to keep me out of mischief. You know how it is. You know how it is when you're little boys. At least if you're not a boy or a, or, or a man, then you know because you've seen the boys. You've seen us what we do, right? Uh, we just uh, usually are balls of energy. So with this family, the pastor was uh, preaching uh, t about turning the other cheek. He was encouraging his congregation and, and they said that... Uh, uh, he said, we shouldn't even, uh, we shouldn't even uh, uh, try to get other people back. And, of course, it gets the boys' attention. And the pastor said that no matter what others do, you shouldn't try to get even. And so that afternoon, the youngest boy came to his mom, and he was crying. And in between sobs, he tells his mom, you know, I kicked one of my brothers, and he kicked me back. And his mom said, I'm sorry that you're hurt. But you shouldn't go around kicking people. So the crying boy said, But the pastor said he wasn't supposed to kick me back. <laughs> go figure. People in today's world, like the crowd Jesus was speaking to, uh, want judgment and revenge for others. They just don't want it for themselves. Remember, Jesus' birth and his life wasn't just so that we could have a new holiday, it was so that we would have a new way of life. Now we see the hometown people responding to Jesus at this point. Back in verse 20, we find that after Jesus was reading, he sets down and after the scroll, scroll was placed back in its, its box or its ark, uh, as it was customary, uh, we see that he, he moves on and uh, that's Jesus did that. He he didn't just go back to set in a chair like the others did, of course, as we said, but now there's a response to Jesus' admission that Isaiah is fulfilled in him today. He's made some short remarks to some level, some powerful comments, and this is what he says in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did over in Capernaum. At first they seem like, uh, it's, 
at first they like what Jesus is saying. They, it seems that they like what he says, and most scholars believe that uh, the Greek word that's translated bore him witness or implies a uh, positive attitude toward what Jesus had said. And that's why the NIV that we read here this morning, it translates it spoken well of him. So Luke said that they were amazed, which doesn't mean they were for or against the words that he had said, said to them. We just know that they were amazed by Jesus' gracious words. And one thing that set Jesus apart was that he spoke with authority. But he didn't speak with assumption because he took action with the power of the Holy Spirit. They seemed to like the hometown boy, but Jesus knew the heart of mankind when he said, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. It's evident from the whole passage that not everyone at that time in that synagogue was real happy. As we step back at Christmas time like this, we need to think through the full gospel message. Often we don't have a problem with imagining Jesus as a sweet, small baby. The Christmas-only baby Jesus is easy to admire one day a year or for a season. He doesn't seem to require anything of us except for wonder and amazement. It's the all-grown-up Jesus who calls us to lay down our lives and follow Him whom many have trouble accepting. If you could bear with me just a little bit. Imagine yourself at a pinch, you're, you're stuck and, and you're not sure what direction to take. Uh, you have two co-workers giving you fits. Both of them want time off for, for vacation and Party Bob wants to go off and, and uh, hang out and party in Vegas, leaving his family behind. And then Family Frank wants to spend time with his family over the vacation time and you have to work it out with them. And the problem is, is that you want to go spend time with your family as well, so you know that they're both hard to deal with, so you, you pray and ask God for wisdom. Now, there's two couple ways we could pray here, so this is where you really need to bear with me. So if you pray as some would, you would say, Baby Jesus, please help me make the right decision here. So as you pray, you wouldn't really have to think back to the teachings of adult Jesus and all that he uh, requested and gave to us. You wouldn't have to sacrifice. You could be purely selfish in your prayers as some do it sometimes. But suppose you decide to pray to adult Jesus. Kind of follow me. You may even call him by his title, which is Lord. You, uh, although he is a friend, he's also one with authority. And you may say, Lord, please help me to make the right decision of how to make this work. It's here that you recognize the direction of Jesus. It's here that you recognize he became a human and he lived like us, like you and I. And we have to keep in mind that Jesus was only a baby once, but he grew up and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he intercedes with us. So what do you do about Party Bob and Family Frank? I'm not sure you can figure that out on your own. Let's move on. <laughs> That's why we pray. Remember Jesus' birth, Christmas, is about providing a new way of life. The people were amazed about Jesus, yet when they didn't feel like they were getting what they wanted, they pushed back. 
That's why Jesus said they would say, physician, heal yourself. Then Jesus goes on to say here in verse 24, he says, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that, you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So if you haven't already caught it in these verses here that we just read, you have to recognize that Elijah, the prophet, didn't only go to God's chosen people, but he entered the world among those who seemed to be somewhat unacceptable, like the Gentile widow in Zarephath. And Elisha did the same with Nahum from Syria. Neither one of them followed God's covenant. Neither one of them were part of the promised people, but God reached out to them and those people responded to the Lord. In the same way, that baby Jesus grew up and He came to offer a new way of life to all who would respond to Him even today. He came not to give us another holiday so we could get time off of work and say, hey, that's great, let's go hang out and eat some ham and, and, uh, and whatever else you eat at this time for yourselves. He arrived so that we could have an opportunity to have an abundant life. An abundant life. A life like God has. He arrived so that we could be free, that we could be delivered from our sin and live and have hope again and so that we could have eternal life to live with our Heavenly Father for the rest of our days. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning in this Christmas season is, how are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? Well, verse 28 gives us a harsh reality of what Jesus dealt with with some of the people. Look at what he says here. He says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We don't know what all happened there exactly. We just know that uh, the way was made for him to get out of the situation and because his time was not come. Many of Jesus' hometown folks didn't respond well. Even with Simeon's words, he prophesied miles away in Jerusalem about 30 years before this. What kind of a response will you have to him this morning? As our worship team comes this morning, I want to encourage you just to think, what is going to be your response to Christ today? I encourage you to be able to look to Him. He is the author of life, the one who has provided for us hope. 